Well, hello everybody. I am Olivia, and this is my little leftist political podcast. I'm calling it Left Sis, but if you have a better idea, please send it my way. I'm not too proud to take somebody else's ideas. Um, <laughs> um, basically, I'm just here to talk about what the fuck is going on, man. You know, it's so crazy, and I feel like I am constantly, like, talking to people all the time, telling them, like, here's what I think about this, here's what I think about that. I um, keep posting to my Instagram story at an alarming rate, if I'm being honest, and um, I know my friends probably hate me, so at least here I can, you know, condense my thoughts. And it's my first time doing this, so it's probably going to be a little choppy. I have no idea how to edit, and... I talk a lot as it is, so it's going to be hard to limit myself, but here we go. Let's try, you know, it's hard to find a place to start, but I guess I'm just going to start with 2020 being the craziest year ever, Um, and I don't know why anybody thought that craziness would stop in the election, and I also don't know why people thought with everything going on that polling was going to be correct you know when we watched in 2016 all the polling was like Hillary's got it Hillary's got it don't worry about it you guys like it's gonna be fine Hillary's got it and then Hillary like did not got it and that's what was happening here again and like SNL even did a skit on it it was like quoting the raven and it was like I was wrong before and that's so true and it's exactly what happened but the craziest part about it is it's not because of a lack of turnout, even with coronavirus. Turnout was not the issue. Everyone got more votes. Like, Joe Biden got more votes. Donald Trump got more votes. Like, there was a huge amount of turnout, which is kind of crazy considering the circumstances and considering the amount of, like, distrust that Donald Trump has really been growing among his supporters, which would be hilarious if that is what ends up, like, coming back to bite him in the ass is that, you know... He didn't have enough people doing mail-in ballots. As of right now, I believe that Joe Biden is still... Let me look. I believe he's still at 264. Oh, no. I have a CNN notification. What does it say? Biden gains on on Trump in Georgia and Pennsylvania as more votes are counted. Oh, my goodness. This is so stressful. Okay. So, let me back up just a little bit. Um, the main states that we are waiting on and relying on our Nevada, Georgia, and Pennsylvania at this point. Um, Pennsylvania seems like it's going to be a little bit more difficult. I don't think that Joe Biden's going to get Pennsylvania. Um, everyone knows, if you know me personally, my favorite Twitch streamer slash political commentator, Hassan Piker, was talking on his stream about Pennsylvania and about how outside of a lot of the urban areas, it's a very conservative, like very different political demographic so I don't I'm not sure if he's gonna get it in Pennsylvania but Georgia has been like the surprise she said I'm coming out honey I'm blue like she is ready I said okay all right I don't know if Joe Biden's gonna get it but it is so close it is a nail biter um Nevada I believe I think that Joe Biden's going to get it. My personal opinion, hopefully this doesn't age absolutely terribly, is that Joe Biden is going to win. 
I also believe that Donald Trump is going to drag all of this out for so long in court that it's going to be freaking crazy. Um, pulling up the electoral map right now. Let's look. In Georgia, we have, oh my God, like less than 10,000 votes separating them and it's 99% reporting. So it looks like Trump might get that, but it's not confirmed, I don't believe. I think all the ones that are confirmed are like bold. I'm also just Googling this, so anything that I get wrong, please correct me because I'll probably get a lot of stuff wrong. Um, Pennsylvania, yeah, like I said, we have about 200,000 votes difference there. As of right now, this is about 2 o'clock on Thursday. Um, so I don't know. I don't think he's going to pull it out. I don't think he's going to pull it out in North Carolina either. Even though that one's a little bit closer. He's got like less than 100,000 votes and there's 94% reporting. So it could, it could go that way. It could go Georgia. We don't know. Nevada, as of right now. 76% reporting and it is so close. Yeah, less than or a little bit more than 10,000 votes separating them right now. And it is crazy. I don't know if any of y'all are on Twitter, but the memes, honestly, a lot of them are on Instagram too. The memes about freaking Nevada or Nevada, whatever you prefer to say. Let's talk about that for a second. Let's talk about Nevada. And there are a few states who adopted these laws before 2020. And, you know, you can say whatever you want about them. This is what the law says. Okay. I'm just telling you what the law says. So they've been receiving mail-in ballots for weeks. Obviously, everyone's been sending in mail-in ballots. Um, there's a law in Nevada that says that you can't start opening and processing those ballots until election day. Um, and obviously that's going to make things take a lot longer. Oh, sorry, my AC just turned on outside. Sorry. Oh gosh, that's probably going to be an annoying sound. I'm okay. No, nah, I figured it out. I think I'm good. Um, so basically, getting back to it, the thing with Nevada was that they weren't going to ever be able to count those ballots before election day started. So we have, we, I'm saying we, I mean them, they have basically all of Nevada's day of votes, plus all of the absentee votes and all of the mail-in ballots in an election, which when I mentioned earlier, has like way more turnout. So there was already going to be a stress because of coronavirus, because of, you know, everything. And now there's even more stress. And I was watching CNN earlier, and I think they were talking about Arizona when they said it, but this is crazy, that to feed these ballots through the machine, they have to, like, completely smooth them out before, like, they'll be able to be fed through. And when they do that, it takes them, like, more time. And they're more creased and more wrinkled because they've been sitting in these envelopes for, like, two, three weeks. So it's, like, you invent this system, you invent this law, then it takes forever, and then of course there's going to be a power vacuum and someone who snatches it up in the meantime. So that's like the main reason why Nevada is taking forever, because they also have a law that says basically as long as they, they get your ballot, I believe it's by the 6th, if it's postmarked um, and like certified sent by the date of the election, they're going to accept it. 
So they're not going to be, not they're not going to be, but there's a lot of leeway considering that there's probably going to be people whose ballots are going to be accepted after the date. So, you know, they're doing as much as they can, but a lot of these poll workers, you know, they only have like, you know, an A team. And a lot of these places, there's not a whole bunch of poll workers there. One, because, you know, being a poll worker is not the most glamorous thing in the world. Two, because, you know, you need a bipartisan effort. So if you have two people sitting at a table, one needs to be of one party and one needs to be of the other party. So that way there's not, like, it's not unfair. Both parties have, like, I'm not exactly sure how the nomenclature goes, but basically there are people who are allowed to be in there and watching and they're supposed to be, like, third party, tell you how it is and make sure that everything is legit. And so that's a really complicated process. So obviously, like, that's going to take a minute. And of course, this has been Donald Trump's plan the entire time. If you have had more than a five-minute political conversation with me, you have heard me ranting about this, and I'm going to rant about it again. So if you're my personal friend, I give you permission to skip this. But Donald Trump is... Okay, first off, I don't know how he's not doing a fucking bit. I really don't know how it's not a bit. And also, if he loses and he looks at the camera and he was like, I got you guys. It was all a bit. It was all a grift. Honestly, I will die. I will literally die. Like, my heart will stop. I, nothing will be funny ever again. SNL will never be funny. Nothing will ever be crazier than the bit that Donald Trump committed to. Like, damn. He really committed to the fascist bit, didn't he? So basically he knew, like he knew that there was going to be a bunch of distrust because he sowed that distrust. And honestly, I can't believe that his political strategy has even kind of worked without, you know, Paul Manafort and Roger Stone and like all these like big hitters in Republican strategies that used to be on his side that are now like in fucking jail. Like... (laughs) These people used to work for, like, Ronald Reagan, and now they're in jail. So, it's just irony. Of course he's gonna go to all of his supporters and be like, You can't trust Malin Bells. You can't trust Malin Bellets. Every Malin Bellet that is not say Donald Trump is fake. Like, of course he's gonna say that. And honestly, every single person that was like, How could he be saying this? Do you know how many people vote by mail? Do you know that the military largely votes by mail? Like, of course he knows that. Like, he just doesn't care. Like, he literally just doesn't care. And I feel like people keep trying to, like, search for a reason and, like, why is he like this? It's because of Russia. It's because of blah, blah, blah. Like, it's it's because he does not care. Like, has Russia interfered? Absolutely. But to be frank, I only really give a fuck about Russia because I'm a political science major. And I know how, like, crazy that was. But the average American's gonna hear, like, oh, a politician was, you know, influenced by a form of foreign government and money, like, yeah, tell me something new. And so when you have all of these, like, different aspects at play, Donald Trump knows that he can say just about fucking anything. And his supporters are going to eat it up 
the liberals are going to go crazy and then he's going to make be able to make fun of the liberals for going crazy like it is literally every shitty boyfriend and his friends party that you've ever been to where they're like no no no, i just want to ask you i just want to ask you and it's like no you don't want to ask me you want to say whatever the fuck you want to say because you're used to a group of dudes who laugh and joke around and smack your ass whenever you say something funny and now i'm looking at you and saying no and that's what the american people are at least trying to do I mean, those of us who didn't vote for him again, because he literally did better in every single demographic except for white men. So ladies on Tinder and on Bumble and on Hinge, we are doing our duty. You are welcome, the American people. Just kidding, obviously. But people cannot be shocked by the fact that people are voting for Donald Trump. Like that baffles me it baffles me that people are surprised that people like donald trump it's like look at all of the factors here like you can break it down you can slice it any way you want to but kellyanne conway was on i'm pretty sure nbc because that's what i was majority watching i know i'm a lib i'm a lib i'm a lib but she was on there saying just because people won't fly the trump flag and won't put the sticker on their car does not mean they're not going to vote for donald trump And that is the fucking truth. I love when they go full mask off in interviews. I really do. Because it's kind of like what I'm pretty sure Reagan, yeah, it was Reagan, who like called the silent majority. And it kind of is like fucking happening. Like if if I'm being honest, like I'm not going to fucking wrong with you guys. Like Donald Trump really did. He grew his, his Hispanic vote. He grew his black vote. He grew his white women vote. Like how many times did y'all hear these motherfucking pollsters on the news, on Twitter, on Instagram, posting these infographics, talking about how white women in the suburbs are turning against Trump, about how um, college-educated white women are rallying against him, about all these things. Like, no, no, that is not, that is not going to happen. And I posted about this on my story, so if you've heard it, I'm sorry I'm going to repeat it again, but it just makes me want to shake democratic strategists. Because it's like, why are these people obsessed? Why are they absolutely obsessed with white women and like centrist white men, male voters? Like, honestly, okay, maybe the white male voter focus on this one might have helped because it was about a 5% decrease in Trump support. So like, hey, maybe that, maybe that helped. But I personally think that 5% decrease was probably because there was no third party candidate. So it's not that Trump had all these votes, it's just that those votes were previously going toward Gary Johnson, and now there was no real third-party vote, so they went to Joe Biden, and that's why you see the detail. And that's literally just, like, my two cents. I don't necessarily have, like, empirical evidence of that, but I don't think that it's some big, like, democratic strategy that brought these white male voters to us. And if it is, it came at the expense of losing a lot more black voters and a lot more hispanic voters especially black voters like that is such an indictment of the state of the democratic party to be losing black voters because black voters are consistently especially black women are consistently some of the most like loyal voters to the democratic party and honestly the most disrespected like if i was a black woman and i saw joe biden with his history of the crime bill, with his, you know, um, with with his overseeing of the confirmation hearing of Clarence Thomas, 
like with the things that he's just the way that he talks to people saying like oh if you don't vote for me you ain't black blah blah, blah. him plus kamala harris who is literally a police officer in like one of the biggest anti-police like social movements in a really really long time so okay great and she you know a lot of people have feelings about kamala i'm probably gonna get like some heat for this but she was disproportionately sentencing and prosecuting not sentencing prosecuting um black and brown people for all sorts of things for truancy for drug crimes for all this stuff like and it's not just because of where she was living like even compared to other people in california even for compared to other people who held her like position formally like she was just like a tough on crime democrat and so is joe biden and i just don't think that like that is going to resonate with people and then you also see Democrats kind of painting the, the Latin vote with this really, really wide brush. And it just goes to show, like, you know, no tino shade, white people not understanding Latin culture. Because there is a huge difference between Cuban people and other Caribbean cultures. There's a cu- huge difference between South American and Central American cultures. And the, way that, the ways that those interact with American politics. Like, obviously, people from South America who have seen the U.S. and these coups and these overthrows of leftist governments, like, they're going to be scared of a leftist government or a government that is labeled as leftist, a lot of them. And I don't fucking blame them. Like, I would be scared too. Like, okay. Obviously, everyone knows how Cubans are politically. Like, I don't even have to go on a whole rant about that. Like, we all know, you know? And and Cubans do, do not really vote Democrat at all. They're, they're very, very conservative as a whole. And um, Puerto Ricans and, and other Caribbean islanders, they're going to vote differently as well, just as differently as, like, you see, like, these pockets of blue and all this, like, these amazing get-out-the-vote and these amazing, like, efforts done in Arizona and Nevada, which are probably going to freaking help deliver the presidency to Joe Biden in like you know mexican and central american voters and their kids who are you know now becoming a voting age and who are reaching out you know their uncles and their tias and their tios and their grandmas and their fucking papas and everybody and saying you need to come out and you need to vote and you need to understand what's going on and you know these you know show me your paper laws that show up in in arizona that was a really really controversial law a few years ago i think that really shapes the electorate and to be frank, I think that Cubans don't really have to deal with the show me your paper stuff and the um, the same kind of oppression and same kind of structural racism that immigrants coming from Mexico and from other areas do because they don't have asylum. And I think that that honestly really heavily affects their political participation. And you can take that as a, as a personal indictment or you can take it as a political indictment. I mean it as a political indictment. It is... A very complex culture. It has a very complex history, and America's connection to Cuba has a very complex history, and the way that we tell the Cuban story has a very complex history. So there's a lot going on at play there. But you see these CNN reporters like shocked that they are that they are seeing these you know Hispanics vote for Trump, and it's just like you really obviously don't know the differences between the latino community like you just don't and there are i personally know tons of people who are hispanic and love trump and these people are like i can't believe you do that it's like if you meet old style hispanics and old style latinos 
a lot of them are very socially conservative. Like, that's just the truth. Homophobia is a huge problem in our community. Transphobia is a huge problem in our community. Toxic masculinity is a huge problem in our community. Like, I'm sorry, but, you know, brown people are not inherently, like, the saviors of the political sphere. Like, that's not what's going to happen. Like, they are inherently flawed human beings, just like everybody else. They are products of their environment, just like everyone else. They are people who have chosen not to learn, who have chosen not to evolve, who have chosen not to grow at the times. And honestly, they're lost causes at this point. Like, I tell people all the time, if at this point, you're still on the Trump train, there is nothing that I can say to convince you otherwise. You have very clearly made up your mind and I can't do anything crazy or say anything crazier or more world altering than Donald Trump has said before. And I'm not going to try to. It's, it's just not going to happen. So now you have Trump and he has not only solidified his base, but expanded it. And he's going to get up there and he's going to sow mistrust in mail-in ballots. He's going to sow mistrust in the process. He's going to say, oh, well, I'm, you know, I'm going to win. I'm going to win. If I don't win, then it's rigged. The same things that he said with Hillary, except this time it is so much easier to litigate and quote unquote prove or try and find whatever evidence he wants to find to pretend to prove his point. He's going to get like, it's not, he's gonna, he already has. He's gotten up there and basically said, in my eyes, we've won. How come is it how come when they were coming in, they were all coming in red states? And then all of a sudden you see these big drops of democratic ballots and blah blah blah. It's like because you sowed mistrust in the mail-in ballot process. So your supporters aren't going to use the mail-in ballots. The people who aren't your supporters are gonna use the mail-in ballots. And this year we've had higher mail-in ballot rates than any other year. So guess what? It's going to have a really, really big effect, a bigger effect than it would normally. And it's just like people, first off, they, they don't care. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> even if you're listening to this right now, I'm probably just saying something that you already believe. Like, I'm probably not convincing anybody with this argument, but that's the truth. Like, that is the empirical truth. And what people don't understand is we are living in Trump land and empirical truth doesn't matter. Empirical truth literally does not matter because the only thing these people believe in is what Donald Trump says. So if he loses, I fully believe he's going to go to the Supreme Court. And we all know now he has a supermajority in the court. That's why they tried to rush his confirmation. That's why, oh, well, how come Mitch McConnell won't hold himself to his own word? Um, because he's fucking Mitch McConnell. Did you ever think about that? Like, in what world would Mitch McConnell ever hold his word if it was going to hurt his party like that's what liberals don't get because they're like it's like in game of thrones like when somebody's really honorable so honorable that they'll make a choice that hurts them and the person that they're up against is like yeah no shit you're gonna make that choice i rely on you making that choice that's us with fucking republicans because democrats will friggin' take out al franken out of the senate when he was like super fucking powerful which i'm not saying i disagree with but i'm just saying we'll do it do you think that Republicans would ever do that? Do you think that Republicans would ever recall one of their own members for sexual harassment? Like, no, we're on our high horse and I respect us being on our high horse, but it's going to be a weakness. Like it just empirically is because they're going to be willing to cheat and lie and pretend facts aren't facts. And liberals are going to constantly be shocked and surprised and be like, what's going on? 
But of course, you're going to have Mark Zuckerberg and these motherfuckers who let them post whatever the fuck they want to post, who let them say whatever they want to say because it's a right to free speech. Oh, we have a right to free speech. I'm not saying I'm against free speech, but it's like you're seeing the effects. You're seeing the way it's negatively affecting this process and you don't care. You don't try to make it better. You really only care about your profits. And the more people you have posting, the more people you have interacting, the more money that you're going to make. Oh my god, my cat just knocked over her entire bowl of water. Hold on. <laughs> okay, I'm back. All right, I cleaned it up. But um, yeah, these people only really care about the profits that they have. And engagement is engagement. It doesn't matter if people are angry sharing or happy sharing or misinformation sharing or correctly informing and sharing. Like, it's all seen the same to them. And Donald Trump profits off of that. He knows that not only can he say whatever he wants, and he has an expanded base that will believe it, and they pretty much believe everything he say he says and reject empirical facts. And more than that, he knows that there are major companies and major social media sites and major places that people gather that are going going to protect his not only his right to say that, but his interests in saying it. And more and more people are going to get into a group and say, this is right, this is right, this is right. And groupthink is going to take over. And like, that's how you end up with this like cult of personality around Trump. And it's, you know, it's shocking and it's bad. But if you look at the things that have led up to it, it's, it's really not that shocking. And it's really an indictment of how bad the system is. Even now, Donald Trump has literally caused the death of hundreds of thousands of, Amer- of Americans due to his response to coronavirus. Like, it was shitty, no matter which way you slice it, no matter what way you talk about it. Like, it sucked. To be fair, the Democrats have also kind of sucked. <laughs> they haven't been able to pass another stimulus bill. Nancy Pelosi drags her feet around about it. Obviously, it's because the Senate also is awful. And no one really cares about the Senate. Like, I wish that people cared about the Senate more. But it's like, there's so much political polarization right now that nothing is going to get done in the Senate. Like, in the Senate, you need 60, major- 60 votes, so a supermajority, in order for most legislation to pass. And that requires you having to work with the other side. And when things are so polarized as they are now, people are either not working together at all, which is like those bills that people refer to as dead on Mitch McConnell's desk. And then there's other forms where the bill has to be extremely watered down and extremely like trimmed the fat off of. Because in the House, you don't really need to, you know, interact with the minority party. If you have a majority party and you have a strong speaker of the House, like, you can pretty much pass whatever you want and not have to interact with the minority party at all. But in the Senate, you do. So there's this huge roadblock. And this roadblock does not help Democrats. Like, when we have a Democrat in office, like Obama, who is being blocked, like he was by a, a Republican Senate during his, ter- like, second term, we don't get anything done. And then it's, oh, Democrats don't get anything done. Blah, 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 blah. When we try and pass stuff and it goes to the Senate, it's that, oh, they're p- passing stuff that's way too leftist. They're passing stuff that's way too radical. It's never going to work in the Senate. And that stops a lot of legislation from even getting to the Senate to begin with. That's a big reason that we haven't seen more stimulus um, checks and stimulus acts being passed from the House to the Senate because they know, like, it's not going to pass regardless. And because of all of this stuff, we look like a very, very weak opposition party. 
We just do. And nothing can personify this more than this race. This race is embarrassingly close. Like, this is more embarrassing than what happened with Hillary Clinton. Because at least when Hillary Clinton was running... Oh, sorry, I hit my mic. At least when Hillary Clinton was running, Donald Trump was an outsider. He was a different guy. He was, oh, I'm not going to do things like everyone else. Drain the swamp, blah, blah. He even talked about, like, lowering medi um, prescription medicine prices. He talked about protecting Social Security. Like, there were things that he, were that he was saying that I'm like, you know what? If I were a voter who was not completely embroiled in this 24-7 and obsessed with it, like, this is probably how I would think about it, too. So, like, I can't really judge somebody for having that perspective. And in 2020, these people have now been able to truly see what Donald Trump is capable of. Like, they're truly able to see what his racism does in action, what his sexism does in action, how he appoints judges, how he protects his interests, how he is able to keep all of the Senate in the back of his pocket. Like, you are able to see all these things and you're still voting for him. You're still not choosing Joe Biden. So, obviously, we are doing something wrong. The first part of that is that America, obviously, is an extremely racist, divided country. It's always been this way. Hopefully, it will not always be this way. But unfortunately, that is the prevailing history in our political sphere, especially. Like we, you know, straight up fought a civil war over it. Then we had the civil rights movement. We've had the KKK. We've had, it's been nonstop since the moment that the first slave stepped foot on American soil. This country has been tainted by racism and it has been committed to racism and now we are shocked when we see what racism breeds and we are shocked when we see that people are complacent with racism when it keeps money in their pocket people are absolutely baffled by this they can't believe it they're clutching their pearls and every marxist and every leftist is looking at them and saying yeah what's like what's the whole point that's what we're saying is that capitalism wears down your morals. It wears down your connection to man until all that matters is money in your pocket, where your next meal is coming from, where your next paycheck is coming from, how you're going to pay your bills, and this false sense of limited, like, like, there's, like there's not enough for all of us. And that is just simply not true. And if we're going to talk about who's hoarding it, it is not, you know, black people who are having the audacity to venture outside of domestic fucking work it's these billionaires that are hogging all this money like fucking dragons and have millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars who are making literally billions of dollars off of everybody struggling right now like that is our great enemy but the way to distract from that great enemy is to put up these imaginary divisions between races when we see political scientists study why socialism and, you know, more government intervention and more social programs are more popular in certain states, a lot of the time what it boils down to is a homogenous culture. It's people thinking we're paying into this system for people who are like us and blah, 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 blah. That's why you see now there's these stressors in Sweden who have accepted millions of um, Muslim refugees that now are not used to this whole process and now people are feeling like oh i'm paying high taxes so muslim people can learn swedish and that's the same thing that happens here 
political scientists tell us, whether or not you want to believe it, you know, it's all theory, but the more homogenous or the more alike a community is, the more willing it is to, like, support said community. So a big reason that racial divisions are stoked in American government and American politics is to distract us from our shared class goals and to keep us fighting inwardly. Because if we all turned around and said, you know what, yes, black people are more heavily affected by poverty than white people, but white people and black people in poverty are similarly struggling, like that is a revolutionary thought. If you looked to your black or to your white neighbor and were like, my beef is not with you. My beef is with the system that keeps both of us oppressed. Like that is a very, very, very scary thought. And I think a lot of politicians will do pretty much anything to keep that from happening. And I don't just mean Republicans. Democrats do this as well. If you read any of Malcolm X's speeches or if you read his autobiography, he talks about his feelings toward the Democratic Party and the way that they don't interact with the black vote in the way that they should, that they don't really reach. Like voting is supposed to be transactional. It's supposed to be what are you going to give me for me to vote for you? And Democrats have become so entitled to the black vote that they feel like they don't actually have to actually give anything to these communities. And in turn, these communities are now not supporting them. We can see that with the polling in 2020 done that shows that black people are not supporting Joe Biden as much as they used to support Hillary or they as much as they supported Obama. And it's because of the eroded faith in this party. Honestly, I think that was one of the most revolutionary parts of Bernie Sanders' campaign was bringing the working class struggle as the main point of his campaign and making the unification and sort of like intersectionality of working class people like a center point of, oh, the cat just jumped over me, a center point of his campaign and, and it became a center point of pop culture. And what's crazy is you even, even with that, you see a lot of liberals, a lot of these Kamala stands and some Elizabeth Warren supporters who basically were saying that by doing that, he was somewhat inherently racist or inherently sexist or inherently A, B, C, D, or E. But it's not that. There is a difference between identity politics, which is something that liberals rely heavily upon, which is like the idea that putting a black woman on the ticket is going to mean you're going to win black women when empirically they didn't. And there's a difference between that and truly like speaking to the working class and what affects them. Like black women care a lot more about what's going to affect the people around them in terms of crime laws, in terms of healthcare laws, in terms of um, childcare, in terms of meta uh, minimum wage, all of those things. They're going to care a lot more about that than they are about the presence of Kamala Harris. And I truly think that Bernie Sanders spoke a lot to that. And I think a lot of what he was saying was silence because it was like, oh, you're just no, another old white guy. And I would be the first person to say, oh, hey, shut up, old white guy. But he was the only person saying that. If anybody else was saying it on that debate stage, I would have been a huge fan. But he truly was the only person saying that. And he was the only person saying that who had truly lived it, who had truly done it. You know, Joe Biden... The second prong of why this election has been so close is because Joe Biden is a weak candidate. And I can say this now. I mean, I've been saying it for forever anyway, but now I can say it without you guys getting mad at me because I did vote for Joe Biden. I swore I was going to take it to my grave, but I'm not going to. I did vote for Joe Biden. But he is a weak, 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 weak 
candidate. Like, Hillary was an infinitely stronger candidate than him, and I hated Hillary. Hillary's problem was that she was such an establishment Democrat. She had so much dirty laundry, so many people who just didn't fuck with her because she had a Clinton last name. People didn't like her as first lady. She was a woman. Like, there's, you know, throw a, a dart at a dartboard of random adjectives, and that's reasons why Hillary Clinton wasn't a good candidate. Now imagine two dartboards, and that's Joe Biden. Like, his record compared to pretty much anybody's is just so shit. Like, where, where do you even want me to start? Like, do you want me to start with him working with segregationist Strom Thurmberg or Thurmund, Strom Thurmond, I think his name is? Like, fuck him. I don't really care about his name anyway. Is it that? Is it the crime bill? Is it Clarence Thomas? Is it the fact that people always say that he creeps them out? Like, several women have said that they creep him out, which I'm sorry. Like, I know that Donald Trump is the worst, but I still think that somebody being really creepy should matter when we're choosing president. Like, there are a hundred thousand reasons. And it's not even like he is a candidate that you can fight for. You know, that he has bold, radical ideas and you can say, you know what? You like him or you don't, but this is what we believe in. We're fighting for something. We're fighting for blah, 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 blah. Joe Biden is not fighting for anything. He's fighting against Trump. His entire basis is just fear of what's going to happen over the next four years. And trust me, I have plenty of fear. So like, obviously it worked on me. I'm not saying it's not effective. I'm not, I'm just saying that it wasn't widely effective because obviously there are a lot of people who don't think shit is going to be that bad. Like they simply don't. I was watching the exit polls coming in from Florida and it was something like 88% of Floridians don't even believe that climate change is real. I mean, Floridians that voted for Trump, obviously, but don't even believe that climate change is real. They don't believe that racism is a problem. Like, these things are, like, we're never going to be able to agree. Like, we're not. We need to get rid of this idea. Like, maybe Joe Biden being the candidate delivered us Wisconsin and Michigan. I personally think it was black voters and young voters in those two states that were like, we're not going to let what happened in 2020 happen again. I don't think it was because of Joe Biden as a person. We need to get rid of this idea that we are going to find common ground with Republicans because we're simply not. Like, their beliefs are inherently, like, incompatible with where the Democratic Party is going. So, like, fuck them. Like, let's try and focus on the new. Let's try and focus on the fact that Latino voters are being, are becoming, like, more and more disenfranchised, more and more disillusioned with the process. Let's focus on the fact that black people are being put into jails. Millions of people, millions of black people are in jail, especially for drug charges. Like, even just from a political perspective, you're trying to tell me that having a strong abolition stance or a strong against for-profit prison stance isn't going to help you with the black community and help you with those people when they come out of jail that are going to become democratic voters. Like, I understand that it's radical and you might lose 50 people here and 50 people there, but play the long game. Be willing, like if we're so willing to lose seats by running these neoliberal candidates, why are we not willing to lose seats by running radical candidates? When Barack Obama ran, he was a radical candidate. Hillary Clinton was running when Barack Obama ran. Like more of Hillary Clinton voters voted for McCain when Obama was running, then Bernie Sanders voted, voters voted against Hillary when she was running. 
Like, people did not like Barack Obama. They thought he was crazy radical. He was super young. He was black. He did not have a lot of experience in... And, like, obviously these are rhetorical questions because the Democratic Party itself can't answer these questions. And I think the Democratic Party is going to have to have a lot, lot, lot of soul-searching after this. Like, they're really going to have to look at what are we doing, how are we doing it, are we effective, are we not? And I truly believe that there is going to be a split in the leftist and liberal wings of the party. And it's going to suck for a while, but... If not, we're going to end up, like, I promise you guys, we're going to end up with, like, Kamala running with Pete Buttigieg or, like, you know, just, like, these awful neolib candidates that you know aren't going to inherently change anything. Like, they're just going to make you feel more comfortable with the state of American imperialism. They're going to make you feel more comfortable with the fact that they haven't federally raised the minimum wage in, like, 10 years Like, there's just so many things that they're trying to keep you distracted from. And they think that putting, like, a shiny, pretty, black female candidate is going to distract you from those things. And it's like, I'm not saying that having representation isn't isn't important because it's so fucking important. Like, Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, AOC, like, all these people, like, they were, like, just, um, saw that there were trans people elected to, um, local and state governments, like, here in Orlando, Anna Eskamani, like, representation absolutely matters. I am not at all saying that it doesn't. But identity politics, just representation without the policies behind it that are really going to help people, that isn't that isn't a good candidate. That isn't. They're trying to play a PR game and a social game with people who are just going to f- fucking believe whatever they watch on Fox News and read on Facebook. Like most people under 45 voted against Trump. It is not, you know, quote unquote, the younger generations that we really have to worry about. It is obviously the older generations. And I'm not one of those people who is just like, wait until they die out. Like, you need to speak to them. You need to talk to them about Medicare for all and how that's going to be important. Talk to them about how Republicans don't give a fuck about Social Security and don't give a fuck about protections long term. Like, we need to change our messaging from identity politics, hashtag woke Olympics party to we want to help people like democrats have just as much corporate interest as republicans do and it hurts more when they fuck you over i'm not sure again it was mlk who basically talked about how having lukewarm acceptance from people who don't outright like reject you is more angering than outright rejection from people who hate you where it's just like oh well i agree with you but if you do that it's going to be way too radical like New York has the most segregated schools in the entire nation. Like, you don't have a high horse because you live in a liberal state. Like, we all have to structurally change what's going on here. And uh, my fear is that Joe Biden being president is going to lull a lot of these brunch liberals into just going back to normal, into just thinking, okay, well, now we don't have to worry about this stuff. And that is the opposite of true. And like that truly scares me. It really does. Obviously not as much as a Trump presidency because I voted for Joe Biden, but I don't think that we're going to see this, oh, push them left once they're in office thing that people are saying. I don't see that, think that we're going to see any true structural changes. I think at most he's going to try and undo as much of what Trump has done as he can, which obviously is important. And he's going to pass some lukewarm, tepid, fucking legislation because the senate is still going to be controlled by republicans or he's going to go full centrist mode 
constantly sell out parts that he said that he wasn't going to sell out and erode people's trust in the, in the Democratic Party even further, making it harder for us in the future. <sighs> that was a long rant. I am about 44 and a half minutes in, and I think I'm going to wrap this up. Thank you guys if you've stuck through listening up to this point. Um, it means a lot to me to get to talk to about talk about this stuff and hopefully like interact with whoever listens to it and you know make a bigger dialogue. I think everything is quote unquote going to be okay, which is a super privileged thing to say, but I do think that Joe Biden's gonna win. Um, I'm pretty sure if I make another episode, it's going to be about, you know, what Trump is legally going to try and do and what his um, legal footing is and and where he's trying to sue and stuff like that, because I have to do a bit of research on that. But I think I'll be able to stumble my way through it. Um, Please let me know if you enjoyed this. I actually had a really good time. I sat here with my cats and um, just got to talk politics in my empty house. So I'm all about it. I really hope everybody enjoyed this. I just had a great time. And uh, hopefully Donald Trump isn't president by the time that you guys hear this. Because that would be uh, super awkward. Um, <laughs> Alright, well, I've been Olivia. This has been the Left Sis Podcast. I'm your Left Sis. And uh, hopefully I'll see you guys soon.